The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in His kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Ecclesia, it's so good to be gathered with you online today. We're so grateful that you're here. And I just want to take a moment and begin with a prayer because if you're like me, it's been a hard week. We've seen COVID numbers rising. Our kids have gone back to school, many of them. Uh, We've seen the tragedies that are taking place in Haiti and there's upheaval in Afghanistan and there's just so much happening. And if you're like me, you need a time to pause, to take a deep breath and exhale. So would you join me as we begin today with a prayer? God, we are so grateful in a time like this, when there's so much happening and there's so much uncertainty, that we have a time to remember that you're with us through even to the end of the age. And so God, will you help us wake up to your presence with us now, even amidst all the things that are going on in our world? Will you speak, will you breathe peace into our lives? Will you help ground us? Will you help us see who it is that you long for us to become and what it is that you long and hope for for our world? and how we can be a small part in that. God, will you move in our midst today, wherever we are? Will you remind us of your love for us and for all people? And will you be with our brothers and sisters in Haiti and in Afghanistan? 
and so many students and teachers across our city, across our country. Will you offer them peace and hope and a reminder that you're with them and that we are with them and for them as well. And we pray all this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Ecclesia, we're so grateful you're here. Let's continue in our worship today. Jesus, 
Iglesia, now is the time in our service where we have an opportunity to say a blessing over our kids, many of whom have gone back to school already. Many will be starting even this week. And so we want to offer this word of prayer. And this and other prayers are actually available on our website, along with resources that have been pulled together uh, by our staff social worker, Juliana Hale. Uh, resources for parents, for conversations uh, that we can have with our kids during a season of, of great challenge and opportunity. And so may I say this prayer over our children today. Our kids of Ecclesia, may these days of school be filled with adventure, God revealing opportunities for discovery and growth. May these days challenge you that in adversity you would feel God's strength supporting you. May God guide you through the wilderness and protect you from every storm. May you be blessed with laughter, curiosity, delight, and true friendship. May you be the one who includes and encourages. May you come home each day rejoicing at the wonders you have been shown. Beloved children, beloved by God, be kind, work hard, have fun. These days are a gift to you from your Creator and Savior. Go be you. Amen. And now we transition into a time of, of offering gathering together the, the resources uh, that God has entrusted to our care, that they might be a part of His healing and redemptive work here in our community, throughout our city, to our brothers and sisters in Haiti and beyond. And so join me in this prayer together. Almighty God, 
You created everything in the heavens above and in the earth below. You survey all of your creation and you savor its beauty and appreciate its goodness. To you, we lift up the best we have to offer from our time, our talents, and our resources. We give freely from what we have received from your hand. We give joyfully with the gratitude of a rescued people. We give generously with the excitement of children at play. We join with your mission and with your kingdom in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hello, Ecclesia. So good to be gathered with you today, wherever you are, whether in across the city or across the globe. If we haven't met in person, my name's Wayne and I'm the campus pastor at our Westside campus. Few things I want to let you know that are coming up. One is we're holding the date of September 12th to do some baptisms and to get to celebrate baptism with folks in our community. Uh, if you're not familiar with it, it's an amazing way to paint a picture and to declare for people what Jesus has done in your life. Uh, so we would love to celebrate that with you. And if you have questions about that or to sign up for baptism, we'd encourage you to reach out to some of our pastors. If you're at downtown and want to be baptized there, we'd encourage you to email Mike Yeager at EcclesiaHouston.org. And if you're at the West Side, please reach out to Jim Doremus at EcclesiaHouston.org. But Ecclesia, we can't wait to celebrate baptism with you. We'd love it if you join us on September 12th, both 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Next, if you're like me, and you've been reading about some of the things that are going on in the terrible earthquake in Haiti, uh, and your heart just goes out for these people who have been so impacted by a major earthquake almost a decade ago. Uh, and then to have this earthquake happen, uh, almost 2,000 people killed, so many people uh, displaced and homeless, and then now to have a, a storm, a tropical storm coming through. Uh, these people desperately need support. They need help. Many of them are without clean water. Uh, and so we're going to be partnering with Living Water International, who has teams on the ground to help provide aid and support to these people who desperately need it in this time. And if you'd like to be a part of that, you can go to ecclesiahouston.org give, and you can give directly to our Haiti fund in order to bless our brothers and sisters in Haiti in this time. And we're so grateful that you'd be willing to do that with us. Another way that you can actually show support to some people here locally. Uh, we do something every Sunday at 11, after our 11 a.m. gathering at our downtown campus, and it's called Simple Feast, and it's just that. It's a chance to gather together with some of the unhoused brothers and sisters who live near our campus here and to sit down and share a meal with them to break bread together. Uh, oftentimes, our small groups will gather together, they'll bring the meal, and then we sit and eat it with them, and it's a great chance to get to know people. Um, and just be the body of Christ together. Uh, and so there's ways that you can do volunteer. You can go to ecclesiahouston.org volunteer if you'd like to participate in Simple Feast, or if you would like to give towards helping that happen, you can do that as well. You can text a donation to the number 84321. You can go online to ecclesiahouston.org give, or you can give through the Church Center app. Uh, but we get to do these kinds of things both in Haiti as well as here locally because of your continued generosity, Ecclesia. We're blown away by you, and we're so grateful for that. So thank you so much. And finally, Ecclesia, I get to introduce you to one of our new friends, uh, Pastor Drew Jackson, who is a pastor of a church called Hope East Village in New York City. We met him when we sent our team up to film some of these sermons that we've been doing with uh, our brothers and sisters at Good Shepherd New York. Uh, and Drew is a gift to, to us as a community, to, to this world. He's a pastor, he's a poet, and I'm so excited that you get to hear a really powerful and beautiful message from him on justice and restoration and what it looks like to partner together with that. So would you join me in please welcoming Drew Jackson? And my prayer for you is that God uses Drew to speak directly to you, that it inspires you, that it gives you a sense of hope for what we can do in this world and how we can actually be a part of seeing God's kingdom come here on earth just as it is in heaven. So Ecclesia, we love you. Can't wait to see you in person. God bless. Good morning, church. So good to be with you all today and to be in this reimagining series with you. As we do so, I have the privilege of speaking today from the title, Reimagining Justice. 
as we explore the possibility of dreaming of a more just world on the other side of this pandemic that we're still currently in. And to do so, we'll be spending a few minutes this morning with the, he with the words of the Hebrew prophet Joel. But before we get to Joel, I I'm reminded of a song that was released back in 1975 that's become a classic. You're probably familiar with it. It's been featured in different movies and TV shows throughout the years. It's been redone over the years by the likes of John Legend, The Roots, and Melanie Fiona, Brandy, Mary J. Blige, and Wyclef Jean. And more recently, a version was put out by that Igbo boy from the southwest side of Houston, Texas, Tobe Nwigwe. But the song, Wake Up, Everybody, written by John Whitehead and Gene McFadden, was originally recorded by Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes, with lead vocals sung by Teddy Pendergrass. Teddy comes on the microphone with his smooth vocals, crooning over that beat, and he issues a call to everybody listening when he says, wake up, everybody. No more sleeping in bed. No more backwards thinking, time for thinking ahead. The world has changed so very much from what it used to be. There is so much hatred, war, and poverty. And when the chorus comes around, all the voices come together and they say the world won't get no better if we just let it be. The world won't get no better. We got to change it. Yeah, just you and me. The whole message of the song is that in order for things to change, in order for chance transformation to come, we first have to wake up. Uh, the Hebrew prophet, poet, and artist Joel sang a similar Blue Note song with a similar message in his day and time in Israel. Now, we don't know much about Joel. Uh, there's no real scholarly consensus on when the book was written or when Joel carried out his prophetic ministry. But because in his writing he quotes a lot of the other prophets, it's thought that Joel came around later in the game and was writing after the return from Babylonian exile. We don't know the circumstances of the prophet's life. We don't know what made him tick. All we know is that Joel was the son of a person named Pethuel and that one day the word of the Lord came to him. Now, Joel is a bit unique from the other prophets in that when you read through the other prophets, you'll find that part of what they do is they get specific about the sins of the people and they will tell the people, these are the ways that you've turned against God. But we don't find that in this book anywhere. But because Joel is a prophet in conversation with the other prophets of Israel, what we can assume is that he's making the assumption in his writing that his readers are also familiar with the other prophetic texts. In other words, they already know the charges that have been levied against them. And so Joel does not need to spend time detailing all of that out. But for those of us who may not be as familiar with the message of the Hebrew prophets, you should know that God, through the mouths of the prophets, talks about two primary ways that people continually turn away from God. The first is the idolatry of the people. Their continued turning away from Yahweh to worship other gods. And the second thing is that the idolatry of the people bears the fruit of injustice in the land in the form of lack of care and concern for the poor, the widows, the orphans, and the foreigners in their midst. God's main thing with idolatry is not that God is some narcissist that demands that everyone everywhere says God's name, but it's because God knows what we are like because God created us. And scripture tells us that we were created in the image of God. And part of what that means is that we are like mirrors. Whatever we are turning and facing, giving our devotion to, giving our attention to, that is what we end up reflecting out into the world. So when we end up giving our attention and devotion, for example, to gaining and securing power for ourselves and our people or protecting our power, what we put out into the world is domination of other people, using people as a means to an end, using and abusing creation if that means more power for us. It's not our religious rituals, songs, and prayers that tell us what we worship. It's the fruit of our lives that is the indication of where our worship is directed. God knows that we can only become the fully human, image bearers of God that we were created to be when we are turned toward 
giving our attention and worship to our creator. And when this is true of all of us, then creation can flourish. So Joel is assuming that the people are already familiar with God's word through the other prophets. And so he spends his time and energy trying to move the people to respond in repentance. Now, I know repentance is an off-putting word for some of us, but it simply means to change your mind about something. And what we learn from Joel is that repentance, first and foremost, requires us to wake up. Wake up to what's happening all around us and wake up to our complicity in it. During the time of Joel, there was a natural disaster that had massive impact on the land and the people. Several swarms of locusts swept through and devoured everything. And in addition to that, there was a drought. And the word of the Lord comes to Joel and says, these locust swarms aren't just an everyday natural catastrophe, but I'm trying to get the people to wake up to some things. Now, uh, there were a lot of natural disasters and storms and things that happened throughout the Mediterranean world. And the prophets didn't interpret every one of those instances as God's judgment. That's not the invitation of this text, although people have taken texts like that this way. But I do believe there is an invitation here, an invitation to ask deeper questions when the normalcy of life is disrupted. See, the locust swarms disrupted agricultural life. It couldn't go forward as normal. But it wasn't just agricultural life in particular. The, the, the vines and the grain were destroyed. Two things that were central to Israel's life of worship. They couldn't make their grain offerings and wine offerings anymore. So worship as normal was disrupted. And the prophet Joel was a student of history. He knew that in, in his people's history, there was another famous story of a massive swarm of locusts that was sent by God to disrupt the normalcy of life in Egypt so that Pharaoh might wake up and let God's people go. Now, the locusts are swarming the people of Israel. And so Joel asks, might God be trying to wake us up to something? Might there be some people who need to be liberated from our hands? Joel was also a student of the scriptures. And as he's looking at the locust swarms, the words of Deuteronomy 28 probably come into his mind. A chapter where God tells the people of the blessings that come with their obedience to the law and the curses that come with their disobedience. And he remembers these words that speak of the results of disobedience that say, you shall carry much seed into the field, but shall gather little in. For the locust shall consume it. You shall plant vineyards and dress them, but you shall neither drink the wine nor gather the grapes, for the worm shall eat them. All your trees and the fruit of your ground, the, the cicada shall take over. And as he looks out at the devastation that has come on the crops, he asks himself, might God be trying to let us know that we've been walking in disobedience? Joel was a student of the other Hebrew prophets as well, and he knew that at other times when the normalcy of worship practice was disrupted, God wanted the people to wake up. Like in Amos chapter 5, where God says through the prophet Amos, I hate, I despise your festivals and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the offerings of uh, well-being of your fatted animals, I will not look upon. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the melody of your harps but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. So with worship being disrupted in Israel, once again, the prophet is asking the question, might God be trying to wake us up so that justice can flow like a mighty river among us? And so I want you to notice what Joel is doing here, and this is important to make sense of the word that he senses God speaking to him about the present moment, he uses scripture, history, and the prophetic tradition. 
meaning the tradition of men and women throughout Israel's history who spoke the word of the Lord, who were unafraid to speak truth to power, who advocated for the oppressed in Israel and called the people to return, to return in faithfulness to Yahweh. These things, scripture, history, and the prophetic tradition become Joel's processing grid for for how to make sense of the present moment and for how to interpret this word that he senses God speaking into his soul. And I believe that these are also tools that can help us to make sense of what God is up to in our time. Church, for over a year, the normalcy of corporate worship has been disrupted. The normalcy of church as usual was disrupted and still is for so many of us. And one of the things that has troubled me over uh, this past year, one of the things that's troubled me most as I've looked across the landscape of the American church is that for so many of us, the primary concern is how can we get back to normal? How can we resume our normal worship, worship gatherings as soon as possible? But I believe that this extended time of disruption is an invitation to ask the deeper questions and to do the deeper work of examination. How have we fallen short of our calling? How have we turned to other gods? How have we failed to do justice, love mercy and walk humbly with our God? Now, don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying that God sent the pandemic. I'm saying that every disruption to our normalcy becomes an invitation to ask the deeper questions. This pandemic has done what most natural disasters do in dramatic fashion. It has unveiled the deeper injustices and inequities that are present in our society. It has highlighted the holes in our healthcare system. It has demonstrated just how much those who are incarcerated are an afterthought. It has put a spotlight on how just how vulnerable poor communities of color are in this country. It has shown us just how expendable we think the elderly are. It has shown how underpaid and undervalued our essential workers are. It has shown the gaps in our education system and how it is not set up for poor children of color to thrive. It is put on display for us our collective mindset that our quote unquote rights are more important to protect than the lives of those who are vulnerable. And if we go through this time and our primary concern is how we're going to gather corporately again, we are missing what God is trying to wake us up to. And the woes that Jesus spoke to the Pharisees and the religious leaders are directed our way when he said, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, teachers of the law, for you tithe the mint, the dill and the cumin, but have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and the love of God. These you should have done without neglecting the others. Translation. Stop focusing on your religious rituals and start learning how to do justice. There is no love of God without love of neighbor. God is wanting to wake us up to how we have fallen short of attending to the weightier matters. And if the rituals of Sunday worship need to be disrupted for us to ask the real questions, then so be it because the songs that we sing, the prayers that we pray, and the sermons that we preach are not the real indicators of where our worship is directed. The fruit of our lives will always tell us who and what we really worship. But Joel doesn't stop at just calling us to wake up and to weep and to lament over the things that we're seeing. He speaks a word of hope into this moment about God's commitment to bring restoration. See, our job is to repent. God's job is to restore. Even though repentance is a gift from God, God cannot repent for us. That is ours to do. 
And even though we join God in the work of restoration in the world, we cannot restore all things. That is God's work. And the story that scripture tells is that God is always moving things toward restoration. Or to say it another way, God is not content with the world that God has created remaining in ruins. God is not content with creation falling apart at the seams. And in verse 18 of chapter two, Joel names this discontent that sits at the core of who God is as the jealousy of God. We don't often talk about jealousy as a positive character trait. But all throughout scripture, God is described as a jealous God. One commentator said that when scripture talks about the jealousy of God, it is referring to God's concern and God's zeal for the people and for the land. In other words, God is not going to allow something that is not of God to have possession of power over and to do what it wills with what belongs to God. See, something stirs within the heart of God when God hears our cries, when God sees our tears, when from the depths of our hearts, we shout to God about our longing to be restored. And what Joel is saying here is that it is God's jealousy that moves God to take up the action of restoration in our world. God is about restoring and it's God's jealousy that moves God toward that. I know that when the weight of the world feels particularly heavy, when the things in our own individual lives are weighing down on us, hearing hopeful words about God's restoration and salvation may be hard for us to take hold of because it doesn't seem real. But whenever I come to texts like this, I have to remember that the people that God is speaking to the people that God is speaking this word of hope to are people who are well acquainted with trouble. They've known injustice. They've known violence. They've known oppression. They've been through it. And part of God's jealousy for them in the midst of their current circumstance is that God will not rest content with what they have done, with what has happened to them, and, and with what's happening around them, robbing them of their ability to imagine something new. See, part of the effect that evil has on us, whether we are being trampled under its foot or caught up in its vortex, is that it robs us of our ability to imagine and build for something more beautiful with God. The reason that the prophets are always talking about God's restoration and the promise of God's new world is because they know that evil wins when it renders us incapable of dreaming with God. When we resign ourselves to the way that things are, whether that's because it benefits us somehow or because we can see no way out. Let me say this another way. All that the evil one wants from our lives and our world is for us to fall into the mindset that the way that things are is the way that they will always be. The evil one doesn't care how we get to that point as long as that's where we end up pitching our tent. But part of how God restores us and our world is by giving us a vision of something better. And that's exactly what Joel does in this text for the people. When with his words, he paints for them a picture of a world beyond their current devastation, beyond the, the locust swarms that they can see. They have to see something more. This reminds me of the great author and activist Grace Lee Boggs. She once said, a revolution that is based on the people exercising their creativity in the midst of devastation is one of the great historical contributions of humankind. In other words, it is a revolutionary thing when human beings who have known trouble and despair are able to imagine something more beautiful. Part of what repentance is is that our minds are continually being changed about what God can do, about who God is making us to become, 
and about what God intends our world to be. That's why Jesus said we cannot participate in the life of the kingdom of God without repentance. Because how can we participate in God's dream if we have lost our ability to dream? It requires a change of mind to participate in the life of the age to come. And this is why the promise of restoration always comes with the guarantee of the spirit. It says in verses 28 and 29 of chapter two, God says this to the people. God says, then afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female slaves in those days, I will pour out my spirit. God promises the people restoration. And as a sign of the promise, God says, I will give you my spirit. The same spirit that hovered over the chaos in Genesis 1 and created the heavens and the earth is given to us so that we might, out of the chaos, reimagine and build toward the new heavens and the new earth with God. The evidence of the spirit in the lives of the people is that they will be able to see, which is what is meant by the word prophesy. They will become seers. They will dream and have visions and not just the powerful men in society who sit at the top. The text lets us know that the spirit will be poured out on the sons and the daughters, on the young and the old, on those who have been most marginalized in that community. This seems to suggest that God is inviting the people to imagine a world in which the old order of things is undone and a new order of things is built in its place. One of the evidences that the spirit is at work in us, in us and among us, is that we begin to dream and build for a world that is more beautiful, more just, more whole, more safe, and more full of abundance for all of us. It is in Jesus where we see this invitation to imagine something new embodied. Jesus lived in the midst of a world full of death, destruction, violence, despair, injustice, all of it. And yet we see someone who kept this promise of God's restoration ever in front of him. The evil of this old world did not stop Jesus from moving toward God's new world. So much so that the resurrection of Jesus forever stands to us as the monument and the motivation that God's promise of restoration is a sure thing. Church, we are resurrection people, which means that by the power of the Spirit, we are people who can imagine a world beyond oppression, beyond injustice, beyond death. And so the question that I want to leave you with this morning is this. How might God be inviting us to reimagine justice after a long season in which the injustices that live just below the surface have been laid bare for all to see? How is God calling us to wake up to where we have fallen short of justice so that we might reimagine and build toward a more just world? The beginning of reimagining a more just world is to have the audacity to believe that it can be so and to let nothing in all of this world take that out of our hands. And so in closing, I want to leave you with this short poem as a benediction by the great Harlem Renaissance author and poet Langston Hughes, who said, hold fast to dreams. For if dreams die, life is a broken winged bird that cannot fly. Hold fast to dreams. For when dreams go, life is a barren field frozen with snow. Amen. So Ecclesia, if you're like me, you're challenged and you're inspired and you're grateful to have heard from our, our dear friend, Drew. And I love that we get a chance 
to actually live out some of what he encouraged us to do, which is to repent and confess that it's a declaration that we're not tied to the past, that there is a future, that every saint has a past and every sinner has a future. And so I want to invite you into this space where we can be honest about our past, be honest about where we are with ourselves, with our family, with God, so that we can look to the future, so that God can invite us into that. And so would you join me in praying this prayer of confession? I'll read as a celebrant and you can respond as the people. God, you have made us to be free, but we crave the cheap comforts of our chains. You have made us to serve others, but we have eyes only for ourselves. You have made us to love, but we are inflamed with lust. You provide that we may be generous, but we greedily hoard as if your well will run dry. You forgive time and again, but we hold fast to the sins of others. You offer light for our path, but we insist on making our own way. And altogether, you are the God who saves. Lord, save us from ourselves. In your great mercy, restore and heal us and grant us your peace. Amen. So Ecclesia, with whatever elements you have today, uh, may you take time to remember Christ's death and his resurrection, to remember that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he gathered with his closest followers and they shared a meal. And at one point in the meal, he took the bread that was there with them and he gave thanks, he blessed God, he broke it, and then he gave it to his followers and he said, take this and eat, it's my body broken for you. And in the same way, after the cup, after the meal, he took a cup of wine. And again, he gave thanks and he blessed God. And then he gave it to them and he said, take this and drink. It's my blood poured out for you. And in this, it establishes a new covenant in my blood. It was a declaration that God was doing something new, that they were not tied to their past, that you are not tied to your past. And so Ecclesia today, may this be a tasteable, touchable, smellable reminder that God is with you where you are, that he loves you, and he's calling you into something beautiful, something grand, that we don't have to repeat our past, that there's a future to live into. Ecclesia, this is the body of Christ broken for you and the blood of Christ shed for you. Let us taste and see together. Amen.
Benediction is not simply to mark the end of a service. It is not a period at all. It's an ellipsis. It's a word of sending that as part of a global historical family, we would be reminded as we depart of God's invitation to participate in God's redeeming acts, which are happening right now in our lives, in our schools, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in Haiti and Afghanistan. And so we commit ourselves anew to be a part of that movement, God's movement of hope and healing to all in our world that is fractured, the whole gospel for the sake of the whole world. And so may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you and guide you. Go now with love to live the church. Dwell in peace. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ecclesiahouston.org.